This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen and amen. So we have received an assignment, and I say we, I'm talking about the ministers and pastor from, from God, uh, that in this season we're going to be talking about the birth and life of Jesus Christ. And if you came Monday night, and then you got a little bit of, a, you know, a buffer as Brother Everhart got in and he stepped in it. Um, so we are going to be talking and teaching on the birth of our Savior and his life. And it's, you know, it's so crucial that we know who and what we believe in, especially in this season, because we all know this season is the season of Christmas coming up, right? But the thing is, we have to, we have to make sure that we really understand who and what it is we're celebrating, right? Because this is just a season, right? Christmas is just, it's, it's a Christian holiday that's been put in place for us to, to celebrate and honor his birth. But celebrating and honoring his birth is not a holiday. It's not a one-time deal. As a believer, as a Christian, it should be showing forth every day in your life. And in this season, we know, you know, when the world gets a hold of it, it turns into a religious, materialistic, secular whole event. Where they're like, spin, 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 and worry about the rest in January, right? Worry about that, that refund check to come pay off those credit card bills in January, you know. And, and that's what the world has turned into. But and, and let, me, let me say these things, right, before we get into it. Because I'm not going to really spend time on the holiday of Christmas. Because like I said, this is, this is something we need to celebrate day in and day out. So I don't want you to feel upset or offended or anything. If you hear some things, there's no problem with you getting your Christmas lights. There's no problem with you getting your Christmas trees. There's no problem with getting your decorations and spending money and things like that. But when those things start to take place of your honor and respect and reverence for God, then we have a problem. Then there's a big issue. So the thing is, we as Christians, we have to keep in the forefront of our heart, in the forefront of our mind, what the real meaning is. What was Christ's birth for? And we're going to touch on that today. I'm going to make sure we get that. So my purpose of this teaching is to discover who is Jesus the Christ and what his birth and life means to us as the believer. So I'm going to start off, I want everybody to turn to Micah chapter 5. Ooh, Micah. Y'all know where Micah is, right? Micah chapter 5. And while we're going there, I'm going to start by asking this question. Who in here believes in the birth of Christ? Raise your hand. So I knew I would have this reaction. And before I read this, well, actually, before we go into this, let me read some things to you. Micah chapter 5, and I'll say it again. Who in here believes in the birth of Christ? Okay. Micah chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from, from of old, from everlasting. So this is what we call a prophecy of the Messiah coming. This is talking about Christ's coming. And the one thing that I wanted to point out to you from here is that it says, his, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. This is referring to the Christ. And there's a reason why I asked who believes in the birth of Christ. And this is going to kind of segue into what is the birth of Jesus. So let me tell you what the birth of Jesus is. The birth of Jesus has to do with the incarnation or the embodiment of Christ. Christ didn't need to be born. So I want everybody to correct that. Make sure you know what we're celebrating. Christ didn't need to be born. He always was, always is, and always is to come. But Jesus had to be born. Jesus had to be born for a purpose. So... That's the first thing I want everybody to clear up in their minds. This is nothing new. We've heard these things before, but as you see, we need to be reminded. Jesus, Jesus had to be born. Christ's goings was from everlasting. From the foundation of the world. He did not need to be born. So then, the birth of Jesus is this. The incarnation of Christ. It's God the eternal Son putting on flesh to become a man for the sole purpose of redeeming mankind. I'm going to say that again. The birth of Jesus is the incarnation of Christ. It's God the eternal Son putting on flesh to become a man for the sole purpose of redeeming mankind. 
to a lot of people, and that's the thing, that's the reason I'm making a delineation between, you know, Jesus being born and who Christ is, see, a lot of people believe in Jesus. But there's still a lot of people that don't believe he's the Christ. There's a difference. There's many people that say, oh, Jesus was a prophet. Oh, there's people in the Bible, there's people in our days today that say, oh, I I know of Jesus, but they don't believe he's the Christ. And again, we have to understand who the Christ is to understand who is Jesus that's been born. So that's going to be what we're going to get into today. We're going to get into, you know, who, who and what is Christ. And understand this. You know, those who believe in Jesus but don't believe that he's the Christ, there's an issue with faith. Yeah, there's a reason why we've been talking about mixing the word with faith a lot lately. Because faith, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Understand that. So it has to do with your faith. So again, we're going to understand who is Christ. We have to understand this to understand the birth of Jesus. So I want you to turn to Revelations chapter 22. And I hope I didn't burst anybody's bubbles, okay? Jesus is the Christ. Understand that. But the Christ, Christ, whose goings are from everlasting, he did not have to be born. He always was. That, that's, that speaks to God's purpose, right? That speaks to, because from the foundation of the world, Christ was. And he had a redemptive plan already. So here we go. Revelations, and I want to go to chapter 22. And right now we're just trying to discover who is Christ. What is Christ? Revelations chapter 22, and I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 17. And actually, before we start reading, go ahead and mark in your Bible John, John chapter 4 as well. Because what I'm going to do, y'all, y'all know me, I like doing this. I like reading the scripture and then jumping right to another one because it runs, runs right in together. So we're going to go from Revelations chapter 22, and I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 17. And then I'm going to go to... Verse 14 of John 4. Alright. Revelation chapter 1. We all there? I mean 22 verse 1. We there? And it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that hears say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will let... And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. John 4, chapter 14, I mean verse 14, and here's Jesus talking to the woman at the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him, shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said well, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he, and he whom thou hast is not, who thou now hast is not thy husband. And this thou sayest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. See, many people believe he's a prophet, but a lot of people need to understand he's the Christ. I, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men are to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, and we shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. See, that's the problem. A lot of people worship, but they know not what. They, not, they don't know who the Christ is. They think they know who Jesus is, a prophet, but they don't know who the Christ is. Uh, Jesus, the Christ. You worship, you know not what. We know that what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah is coming, cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. See, that, that's what I'm trying to get you to understand. All that, the, the water of life that flows from the throne of God and from the Lamb of God, all that came down and put on flesh, was born into Jesus for you. See, like I said, we worship, we know not what. 
You know, a lot of people think, well, it's time to celebrate Christmas. Let me get out this. Let me get out that. But listen, every day is a time to celebrate Christmas. Let's get out righteousness. Let's get out holiness. It's an everyday thing. It's not, it's not just a season where we celebrate. See, we worship what we know not. For Jesus is the Christ. He's the one that flows from the throne of glory. And that water that flows, it springs up into everlasting life. That's what we're celebrating. That's who Christ is. So let's see, what does Christ mean? Because we're still trying to figure this out. And let me go ahead and give you you know, a plan of what's going on. We're talking about the birth and life of Jesus Christ. So I am going to get into the birth of Christ, of birth of Jesus Christ. But we're going to go through those things. But we have to lay a foundation first. Because I want you to understand who this is before we go through this. So who is Christ? What does Christ mean? Christ means the anointed one. It means anointed. And I want you to understand that that means the anointed belongs to him alone. A lot of people say, oh, I'm anointed. Be very careful. Uh, the anointed one, the Messiah, there's only one. There's only one that's been called to the purpose of redeeming mankind. You're not anointed to do that. And he doesn't share that anointing. So just understand that. Christ means anointed, the anointed one. The Greek translation of the word is Messiah. That's who the Christ is. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. He is Lord. He is the one, like I said, consecrated to Jehovah's great redemptive plan as Messiah, priest, and king of his people. He is the messenger of the covenant. And just remember that. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But the Bible, and the Old Testament especially, because we're going to go through a few places, they're full of these messianic, uh, messianic prophecies, the one that, like the one I just showed you. Full of these prophecies of his coming and who he is. And those who have ears to hear... They're going to listen and prepare themselves for it. See, I love how Brother Eberhardt went to that and said, it's the time of preparation. Those who listen and hear these prophecies and, and have seen God in, the, in their lives, they're preparing for this. So, the first messianic title that I want to deal with is the Son of David. Who's heard Jesus, is the son, Jesus Christ is the Son of David? We're going to deal with that. In Matthew 1, it calls him out. He's the Son of David. So let's turn to 2 Samuel. We're going to see what that means. 2 Samuel chapter 7. So 2 Samuel chapter 7. Are we there? All right, I'm going to read verse 12 through 13. And when the days, and when thy days be fulfilled, and this is God dealing with, talking to David. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, David was promised that one of his offspring would rule forever. And like we just saw, Jesus is called the son of David. While he was on earth, he was born in David's city of Bethlehem. It's a messianic title. These, only, these, these, these titles refer to Jesus the Christ alone. Right now, we're just walking through some prophecies. Let me go ahead and admonish you this morning, too. We're going to be walking through these scriptures. Allow these scriptures to speak to you. Please do. Especially when we get into the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, and, and in his life. And we might not get to the life until next week, but especially when we get to those, allow the scriptures to speak to you. Another messianic prophecy that dealt with him being the son of David is Isaiah 11 and 1. And you don't have to turn there. What it says is it's going to be the rod, of the, stem of Je- the rod out of the stem of Jesse. And what that means is Christ is that rod out of the stem of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse was David's father. It was undergirding that the son of David, Christ, is the Messiah. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. All I'm doing is building a foundation. Matthew chapter 22. Because, you know, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses is every word established. So we're going to go to the scriptures. Matthew 22. And I believe Brother Everhart went here on Monday night as well, but we're going to go there again. Matthew 22, verse 41 through 45. Are we there? It says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. See, it's so interesting to me. This is Jesus asking the Pharisees, What do you think of Christ? You know why? Because they worship what they know not. Uh, the Christ is right there in front of them. But Because they know he's Jesus. They don't know he's the Christ. Well, let me tell you about these Pharisees. They were stiff-necked people. They had all the signs around them. They had all the war- They had the word just like we had them. They didn't want to know. Let me put it like that. So here it is again. 
What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He says unto them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, that, That's powerful to me right there. <laughs> the Lord said unto my Lord. That Lord right there, you know the one that's in all capitals, capital F, that Lord is Jehovah God. Said unto my Lord, the Christ. That's what I want you to... I said the, the, the messenger of the covenant, God cut covenant with himself. So, my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my, on my right hand till I make thine enemies my footstool. If David didn't call him Lord, how was he his son? So this again, this is establishing that he is of the son. He is the son of David, and why is he? Does he need to be the son of David? That's the question. And the answer is, the Christ, he's to be king and ruler forever. See, David was a royal lineage, royal lineage, and Christ had to be royalty. And God promised to him. God said it. So Christ is to be king and ruler forever. And now, while the Bible deals with the lineage of Joseph and Mary. It's, it's the lineage of Mary that's the most important. She is of the lineage of King David. So is Joseph. But she is of the lineage of King David. And, and then let me, tell you, let, me show you how, let me show you how God undergirds it. Because he gives another prophecy that it's going to be a seed of the woman. I think Brother Everhart went there on Monday too. Let's go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. These are all Messianic prophecies. These are talking about the Christ, the Messiah. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust, thou sh- dust shalt, shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I, let me just tell you, this is, this, is right at, this is the fall of man right here. This is what's going on. And then verse 15 comes. And I will put my... I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That woman he's referring to, that's Mary. Jesus is the seed of Mary. She, she's the woman referenced here in the prophecy. Christ was brought to us without the aid of a man, and there's purpose behind that. He's the seed of the woman. So, like I said, Joseph and Mary are both from the lineage of David. But the prophecy said, it's going to be lineage of David, and it's going to be the seed of the woman. So Joseph, in case you had a question, Joseph is not the father of Jesus. God alone is the father of Jesus. Okay? And he's the seed of the woman. The seed of Mary. And, you know, it's, it's so amazing to me. You know, through this, the devil, he, he was destroyed and ruined by our great Redeemer. It says, let's see what it says here. It says, it shall bruise thy head, the seed in her seed, it shall bruise thy head. And it's, it's so amazing to me because no sooner was the wound of sin given than the remedy was already provided. Because this is all during the same, like I said, crisis from everlasting. It, this has already been set in motion. The devil was like, yes, I gained the ground. And God was like, hold up. Wait a minute. The seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. Already, there's nothing that can surprise God. This is listen. God is thinking it's going it's going according to my plan. Everything's going according to my plan. Always, Christ always was, always is, and is to come. And now, by faith in this promise, we're justified and saved. His sufferings and his death pointed at Satan. You know the bruising of his heel, and and the bruising of his heel still continues because when we're afflicted, Christ is still afflicted, but. Understand that the hill, while down here on earth, his heaven is, uh, is far above, his head is far up in the heavens. Uh, showing his victory over the hands of the enemy. Because that, that bruise to his head, it was a fatal blow. That's a fatal blow. And as Christ's kingdom gains, as it increases, Satan just falls. But this is all brought to, to us by the seed of the woman. The son of David. So, like I said, Christ is to be king and ruler forever. And why do we need, what makes him a king? Why do we need a king? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. And again, we're still on Messianic prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9. And I believe Brother Everhart went here Monday night too. And I want you to understand, we're going to be doing these teachings for a few weeks. So you're going to hear a lot of repeating. But as we all see, there's some things that bear need repeating. 
especially in this season. So we don't get it confused with just a holiday. It's a lifestyle. Isaiah chapter 9. Let's get on over there. And I'm going to read verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Uh, now we're talking about what makes him king, right? I have to stop there. It says the government shall be upon his shoulder. This means as king, there's no other working body of individuals, no other cabinet. No other government that can veto him, that can impeach him or his rule. No, no, no. It's not a democracy. It doesn't fly like that. No, the government, he is the government. Can nothing block his, his authority. The government is on his shoulder. When, listen, when he decree, decrees or declares a thing, it's so. Uh, but remember what I said. He is the Christ. He's the anointed one. Can't nobody here decree or declare anything. Uh, take that and run with that. If you, if you have to decree or declare anything, declare his goodness. Declare his peace on earth. Anything else, that's not scriptural. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. I don't see any scriptures referring to anybody here. He's the Christ. And what does the king offer? What is it? Let's keep reading here. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. This is just for, for you, you super Bible scholars, you know, and maybe you can help me because I haven't figured out yet, right? The son is going to be called the Everlasting Father. I'm going to leave that alone. I, I, listen, this is the power of God. Listen, I'm going to leave that alone. But the son is going to be called. That's what's wonderful about him. It said, "Wonderful counsel, the mighty God, the, the everlasting, the everlasting Father." We're talking about the son here. I'm not even going to touch that. I'm not even going to attempt to touch that right now. I'm not going to touch it. And then it says, "The Prince of Peace." Now we talk about a king. We talk about a king and his kingdom. The kingdom he has dominion over. And what does he offer? Peace. The gospel of peace. What is the gospel of peace? Let's find out real quick. Let's turn to Matthew 4. Keep your, keep your ribbon there in Isaiah. Let's turn to Matthew 4. But we've got to make all these connections to understand what's happening when Jesus is born. When, when Christ is incarnated. So what is the gospel of peace? Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 16 and 17. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, and this is, let me tell you something. This is the first word from Jesus the Christ. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the gospel of peace. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance, there's so much that comes along with repentance. The heart of repentance, you know, it, it's good, because people say, well, I've repented from my old ways. I don't have to repent again. The heart of repentance, it's good to keep this heart. Because the thing about it is, the flesh still, you know, you know, the flesh that you still deal with, it still wants to have its way. It still wants to do its own thing every day. But remember, we're, we're to cease from our own works. That's what true repentance is. We're to cease from our own works. We're surrendered to His way. And the attitude of repentance reminds you that, it, it reminds your flesh that it's God's way for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the attitude of repentance. And with that attitude of repentance comes His mercy, comes His grace, comes peace. That is the gospel of peace. God with you, God is only going to be with you once you repented and accepted the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for in choosing God's way you will have peace he, he establishes his kingdom with peace we're no longer at odds with God we're winners because let me tell you something to be at odds with God means you lose 
End of story. But he said, repent. Because you don't want to be at eyes with God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is how he establishes his kingdom. Let's go back to Isaiah. And I'm going to finish reading verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. See, this is the eternal king. This is Christ for all peace. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what the Lord has done. Can you imagine Christ the king who flows from the very throne of God? We saw him. He's the water that flows from the very throne of God. Fastening himself as a man. Humbling himself. Enduring the shame of the cross for us. And understand this. He had to put on, when he fashioned himself as a man, and then when he died for us, he had to put on sin because sin was never his nature. Like I said earlier, righteousness and holiness, that's his nature. That's what he wants us to learn. And so, that means here, we're going to look at one more prophecy here. And this is going to deal with the messenger of the covenant I told you. Let's turn to Malachi chapter 3. And understand this about all these prophecies that we're reading so far. And after this, we're going to get into, you know, the... The, the events of his birth. But understand this about these prophecies. Christ fulfills them all. He is the fulfillment of these prophecies. That's what he is. And so this one is so interesting to me. Because when I read this, a lot of people go straight to money. I'm going to read this to you, and I hope you understand. So, Malachi chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Behold, I will send my messenger... And he shall prepare the way before me. Now I want, you to, I want you to understand right now. The messenger that he's sending. He's talking about John the Baptist here. He's talking about John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord. So behold I will send my messenger. And he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek. Shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant. Whom ye delight in. Now the messenger of the covenant. They're talking about Christ. And the covenant that they're referring to. Of course this goes back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. In thee shall the seed of all the nations of the earth be blessed. Uh, let me keep reading here. Whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeared? For he is like refinest fire and like full of soap. See, see, that's why it's so important that we repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. I I want you all to remember that verse 3, an offering of righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in the former years, as in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow, and the fatherless, and that, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, said the Lord the ho- Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with the curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now where, herewith, herewith, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not Open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall be no room enough to receive. See, so here's what I want you to understand, right? We say that the messenger of the covenant wants you to... The messenger of the covenant is, is here to show you... And he's talking about the covenant of Abraham, right? And we're saying pour you out a room that... Pour you out a blessing that there's no room that you can receive. So the messenger of the covenant wants you to know that there's a difference between God blessing you and you following him just because material blessings. Or in this case, it's talking about give the tithes and offering because you've robbed God, right? So God is promising that the window of heaven blessing will be brought to you by the messenger of the covenant. And like I was saying earlier, this is not really talking about... It, it does apply to your money. 
But if you read with your spiritual ear, this is not just talking about you bringing your money to church. That's not what it's talking about. This is representing our obedience. Uh, here's our obedience. Us receiving the gospel, repenting and receiving the gospel, that's our obedience. And that's what this is referencing. And then as you see, in verse 3, our obedience, or our offering that he accepts, is righteousness. This should go speak to you right now, right? Because it's always a heart issue. It's always, always the issue of the heart. We're talking about, you know, tithes and offering, but understand this about the tithe, right? Christ didn't come here so that you can have enough money, so that you can pay the tithe and have money coming back to you so you have no room to, no room to receive. That's not what he came for. That's not the messenger of the covenant. That's not what the messenger brought here. So understand when he says your tithes and offerings, he is talking about your first fruits. He's not necessarily, the monetary tithe will come with the first fruits. Okay, understand that. But your first fruits, that's the best of you. And the tithes and offerings, I understand this, the tithes and offerings, we owe that to God. I, did I say that? Listen, it's not just the tithes we owe him. The tithes and the offering, we owe that to God. Give him your first fruits. What's your first fruits? Righteousness. What produces your first fruits? Faith. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so good to me. Mix the word with faith, right? He's not trying to fill your bank account with money. He's trying to fill it with righteousness. What do they say nowadays? Get the bag. Get the bag of righteousness. Get the bag of holiness. Uh, when you get that, then will the windows of heaven open blessings that you have no room to receive. Because, like I said, this is a prophecy of Christ, right? Christ is that window of heaven blessing. Uh, listen, long after your fathers and mothers are gone, Jesus Christ still remains. And your children receive that blessing. Your children's children. I dare say that's room that you alone cannot receive. He is the blessing that you don't have room to receive. But we said it's about the offering of righteousness. So what do you have to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all those other things that you thought it was about, like the tithe coming back to you, those will be added to you. But seek ye first. That's the thing about holiness and righteousness. They'll produce for you what your money can't. Make God your priority. I heard it this morning. Ministration said, make God your priority. You want the windows of heaven blessing? Make God your priority. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe the gospel. Believe in Christ. Not just in Jesus. Believe in Jesus the Christ. So the coming of Christ, if you didn't know, he's the fulfilling of the tithe, too. And you have to believe it. You have to believe that gospel by faith. Like I said, it always starts with faith. By faith in Christ alone can we be brought into fellowship. Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Faith. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him for righteousness. There's your windows of heaven blessing. Being born of God, and it's counted to you for righteousness. So when God makes a promise, it's done. He is the messenger of the covenant. He is the son of David. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. That's who Christ is. Now seeing all these prophetic promises of the Messiah, now it's time to see how God brought these things to pass. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 1 and we're going to sit there probably for the rest of this service. Because we're going to go through the events surrounding the birth of Jesus the Christ. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. And understand this, as far as the, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ goes, the two books to deal with that are Matthew and Luke. 
out of all the Gospels, Matthew and Luke. So I'm going to take it from Luke, but you can learn so much from both of these. And let me tell you something. They work together. There's a harmony in the Gospels. They work together. Some questions that you may get from reading in Luke, you may need to go back and read Matthew to get the answers. And vice versa. So that means your study time is not just here. That means you take this home. Because this, this is really important, especially in this season. It, we're not to forget what Christ came to do. To redeem us. Really important. So Luke chapter 1. Now this is the account of John the Baptist and his family. The messenger for the messenger of the covenant. Right? This is the account. And I want you to understand the reason for John and his family being mentioned. It's, it's only in the role of introducing Christ. If you think about it, you know, because it said Elizabeth was barren. If you think about it. It doesn't mention her having any other children. And I don't know if she did or not, but the Bible doesn't mention it. Because this, the birth of Jesus Christ is all about him redeeming us. So understand that. And there's a reason why this, God doesn't waste any words. So let's start in Luke. Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start at verse 5. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go through verse 80. I'm not going to read it all necessarily, but we're going to go through this, this whole chapter here. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiha. Now, I have to stop there already. Because Abiha, if you don't know, was the high priest during King David's reign. Listen, if that don't speak to you, I don't know what it does, because God is lining up everything for the fulfillment of his righteousness. He's lining up everything. Everything's getting set in motion. Do you understand the mind of God? Listen, he... He, this has been planned, what well, I said, crisis from everlasting. And everything is just lined up just as he planned it. We saw it from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Here we are in the New Testament in Luke. And it's lining up. So here it is again. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. So let me just address that here, verse 6 and 7, right? It said that they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. See, you never know what God has planned for you. You never know what God has planned for you. But let me tell you something. Elizabeth was barren. They both were well stricken in years. But God has a plan for them. And guess what? They're in position to be used. You never know what God has planned for you. But you need to be in position. You have to be in position to be used. What did we just say? The offering he accepts is righteousness. And what did it say? They were, listen, they were both righteous before God, walking in all His commandments. Listen, that's being in a position to be used. It pays to have God on your side. Uh, because they were well stricken in age and, and Elizabeth was bearing, but with God, nothing's impossible. Are you in a position to be used? Then watch God work. Now let me keep reading here. And it came to pass, that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, that's the course of Abiha, according to the customs, custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without, the time of, without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel, and I want y'all to remember that, fear fell upon him. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that here in a second. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, from these verses, 13 to 17, you can see Zacharias must have been praying for a child. Or he may not have been continually praying, but he may have before. It may have been something that he asked God, but Zacharias has been praying for a child. And I like to say probably for a long time, but again, I don't know these things. And the angel of the Lord said, you will have a son. And not only will you have a son, but he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. Whoa. So, I've never seen anywhere else in the Bible where a child was filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. I've never seen that. And then he's to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How does he make ready a people prepared for the Lord? By preaching the gospel of peace. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, there's nothing special that he could do. There's nothing in it. Like I said, it's, a, it's all about Christ coming. Isn't it? This, don't make a big deal about John the Baptist. Make a big deal about who he's heralding in. That's what it's about. So repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's how you make prepare the people ready for the Lord. So let's go to verse 18. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? Now we were talking about the fear that he had of the Lord. Where did his fear go right now? Because let me tell you what this means, what he's really saying. He's saying, yeah, right, you expect me to believe you? Look how old we are. Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. Yeah, right. How am I to believe you? So, what he's doing is asking God for a sign, right? You know, the, the Bible says something about those who seek after a sign, right? An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign? Here's your sign. Your faith. There's your sign. If you're ever looking and, and you're asking God, God, show me, please give me a sign. Look at your own faith. Because there's a lack there if you need a sign from God. Start with your faith. And then Gabriel had to check him. So let's see here. And, they, and the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel to stand in the presence of God. And have sent to speak unto thee and show thee these, and show thee these glad tidings. So he said, "Look, this is not my word. I'm bringing to you. This is not. It's all about God. And so you may think that you're talking to an angel of the Lord, but you are, you are coming against God's word. So when a word goes forth from here or wherever in your life, and you want to speak out against it, you better just be real careful." Because there's some consequences that you have to pay from going up against God's word. Uh, let me tell you something. God had a plan, and he still had to pay some consequences for going up against God's word. Like I said, Gabriel checked. And, and let me tell you something as well. One dis disbelief in God's plan, it doesn't stop God's plan. It will not stop God's plan from happening. God told Zacharias through the angel what was going to happen. And his disbelief didn't discount it. It was still going to happen. That just makes me so thankful, right? That God doesn't change like the attitude of man. Because if he did, guess what? We wouldn't be redeemed. I'm so grateful that he does not change like man. And like I said, there was nothing Zacharias could do to keep God's plan from coming to fruition. I, I want you to understand that too, right? God had a plan for Zacharias from the, from the get-go. But let me tell you something. He has a plan for you. And if you don't get into it, he's, he'll go around you. He will go around you. Uh, he wants you to be a part of his plan. Just like the, Jesus is the son of David. He, he brought David into his plan. But you want to stay in that plan. You want to stay in that plan. You want to receive the windows of heaven blessing that you have no room, you don't have room enough to receive. You want to stay in that plan. 
So let's keep reading here. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. Here's the consequences. And not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So Zacharias is unable to speak. As the angel of the Lord said. Now, I wonder when he lost it. Well, you know what? Let me read just a little bit more. And the people waited for Zacharias, and they marveled that he tarried so long of the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. But he beckoned unto them and re- remained speechless. That means he was still trying to talk to them. He beckoned unto them. He was, he was trying. He was trying his best, but remained speechless. And so now I, I wonder if when he lost his ability to speak, if he thought in his heart immediately, I'm sorry, God, I believe you. I wonder if he did. But here's what I want you to understand. When God's word goes forth, it don't matter. You, there, there's some reason. You need to be quiet. You need to shut your mouth and allow God's, God's power to work. Because you, you just showed disbelief. But I wonder if he was like, oh, God, if you open my mouth right now, I'm going to sing your praises. God's like, be quiet. Your disbelief? No. We're gonna, we need to work out some of that. Be quiet. God's word stands. And for this next season of Zechariah's life, he had to be quiet. I want you to understand that. He had to keep his mouth closed. And, and I want you to understand, this was a long season. It wasn't like a couple, a, a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months. No, 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 no. It was a duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy uh, and her coming to term and an additional eight days. It, Throughout that whole time, he had to keep his mouth shut. We're not there yet, but we're going to get there. But yes, I, I always remember, it's never about what you want. Uh, like I said, he may have wanted to open up his mouth and speak something in after God. But it's never about what you want. It's never about what you want to do. Even if you think it's what God wants for you and what God says and what God wants you to say. No. God wanted Zacharias to be quiet. You know why? Because when he did have something to say, he questioned God. Uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's something in his heart that needed to be worked out. So he told him to be quiet. It's about what God is doing through his redemption, redemptive plan. So if you have a question, is that God? I, can't, I don't understand. Listen, does it have to do with his redemptive plan? Let me tell you this. The instruction from God will always have to do with his redemptive plan. So if you have a question, is that God I'm hearing? Does it have to do with his redemptive plan? Does it have to do with his redemptive plan? Just like Zacharias. Uh, But I'm all... That don't have to do with my redemptive plan. Be quiet. Don't say another word. Because of your disbelief, be quiet and be still and know that I am God. No more words for Zacharias. Only thing that was needed was the sacrifice, to God, the offering that God accepts, obedience. That's all that was needed. You know, a lot of people, you know, when they get into messes, self, self-inflicted messes, you find yourself crying out to God, and, and you're putting yourself on your, your unbended knee, and you're crying out, and, and God is like, you know what? I don't want to hear another, I don't want to see another crocodile here. I don't want to hear another a word and prayer from you. What I want what I want what I want is your obedience. That's it. That's all I'm hearing. That's all I need from here going forward. So understand this, after Zacharias left the temple, he was dumb. He couldn't speak, but he still had to obey cuz guess what? There's some actions he had to take with his wife to get pregnant. So obedience is needed. Don't open your mouth. You can try. It's futile. That's what that means for you. When God says a word, you could try to change it to fit you and your situation or however you want to. It's not going to work. When God speaks, it's done. Let me pick up, let's see, what verse did I stop at? Verse 22. And he came out 
and he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach from among men. Let's see. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Uh, you know what? I'm going to stop there. Let me see. Yes. So here's what I wanted to, I, I do want to undergird this as well, because I said they had to have action, right? It was just obedience. Elizabeth was not with child of the Holy Ghost like Mary. She wasn't. So like I said, they had to act. And when operating in the plan of God for your life, your words or your confession of belief only has real meaning when it comes from the heart. And like I said, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word was established. So what does it say in Romans? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It always starts with the heart. What I say earlier, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You got to get your heart right if you want to be used by God. Allow him to lead you. Zacharias had to get his heart right in the season. As he was speechless, he couldn't do anything but sit and watch God's plan unfold before him. And like I said earlier, it wasn't overnight. It was a full-term pregnancy. So let's go to verse... Now I want to start at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Why is he called Jesus? Anybody know what Jesus means? Who said that? Savior. He's going to be the Savior of all mankind. That's what he came to do. Savior. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give him unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she also has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed. So an angel tells Mary of the birth of her son, Jesus the Savior, the Son of God. And everything that surrounds the birth of Christ was done to show that this is the Messiah. This is the one that the prophet spoke of. This is the seed of the woman that was referred to in Genesis. Elizabeth too was barren only until it was time for John because God makes all things possible for his plan. If you're in position. Notice that the scriptures don't mention any other child of Elizabeth. God had a plan and a purpose for us to have a savior. And inside of that plan, you're taken care of. Like I said, if it has to do with his redemption, you're taken care of. God takes care of those that carry his seed. I want you to understand that. If you have the seed of Christ, God will take care of you. He takes care of those that carry his seed. In that plan, you have his seed. And even if you have a bout of disbelief like Zacharias, he'll shut you up so you can see his glory. Thank God for shutting you up. So let's read verse 39. Verse 39 through 45. And I really wanted to get here because I'm running out of time. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. See, I love Elizabeth here. See, because she's like, it could have been about her because she was pregnant too, but this whole thing is about bringing about, about Jesus Christ. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence, and whence is this to me, that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as thy voice of the salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my, room, my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now, this amazed me so much. This whole passage, from verse 39 to 45, it amazed me. It says that when Elizabeth heard Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. You talk about an overflow. You talk about an overflow, right? The babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. To me, when I the pictures that I got, right, because this is what you have to understand. It's, it's mind-boggling. In that very room, you have Jesus the Christ, and you have the Holy Ghost. It was. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you why John the Baptist leaps right, in the womb. Because it was almost like a spiritual death from inside. They were like, what's up? The plan, it's going according to plan. Everything is, everything's going. Everything, I'm telling you, the, the babe leaped. And, and you know why he leaped? Because John the Baptist was like, I have the privilege of ushering in the kingdom of peace. Uh, here we are with the spirit on the inside of us. And we can't leap up out of bed on Sunday mornings just to make it here. And he's in the womb, excited for the privilege of ushering in the Christ. I believe that John the Baptist from the womb knew that he was going to preach the gospel of peace. He was filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. I said this earlier. I've never seen any other baby feel from the womb. So I'm not saying that your, your baby can hear from the womb. No, I'm saying John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. He knew he had a priest to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He understood this privilege. And I can't get, we're living proof of God's plan. Listen, the same spirit inside of me is within you. There should be a spiritual dap going on all the time. We should be leaping into service to our Lord. It shouldn't be a question of, well, I got this to do, I got that to do. I want to do this, I want to do that. I want to, listen, I, I have a football game coming up. Uh, my job needs me to do this, and it's not a requirement, but it's some extra money for me. Oh, well, I can use that extra money to give the tithe. Where's your righteousness? That's the offering he accepts. But in the womb, he leaps at the privilege to preach the gospel of peace, to usher in Jesus the Christ. <laughs> there should be a desire to be a useful instrument to God in each one of our hearts. That's why we're cel- that's the celebration of, of the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus to Christ, a, a desire to do His will, a fire that can't be quenched by any amount of money, any amount of opportunity that this world can offer. Obedience. That's what's needed. So verse. Let's see here. Yes, I will be able to finish with this. I'm going to start at verse 57. And I want you to understand that 46 through 56, it's just Mary praising the Lord. <laughs> Read it on your own time. It's Mary praising the Lord. But you're going to see a lot about that. So verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her. And they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, 
but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would ha- have, have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately. And his tongue loose. And he spake and praised God. Now, so, okay, Elizabeth gives birth to John. And at this point, remember, it was important. The only thing important to remember is that John is to usher in Christ. That's it. He's to prepare you the way of the Lord. And it amazes me that at the time of his birth, how the, the minds of Elizabeth and Zacharias are made up. Just, just, the cha- just, just the page before, you see Zacharias unbelief, disbelief. But here you, you see Elizabeth talking about, nope, no way immediately. Nope, that's not his name. God said it's going to be John. Then they, they went to Zacharias and like, you're the, fire, you're, you're the father, shouldn't we call him Zacharias? And he was like, oh, I can't speak, but let me get some across to them. His name is John. That's what it's going to be. And then his mouth opened immediately. Why? This was God's time. Uh, it said it back, let's see, verse 20, which shall be fulfilled in their season. He told him he's going to be dumb until this is God's time. This was, listen, this, this signified the, the dissolution of any belief he had, any disbelief he had. He was gone. Because like I said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And immediately when his mouth was open, he went to praising God. And what was he praising God for? It wasn't the fact that he had a child. Because, you know, that's why, that's why God told him to be quiet. Back. That probably would have came out of his mouth when he, if he was able to speak. It, wasn't, it was because he had the privilege of raising the one who was going to usher in the class. He went to praising and worshiping God. And I'm not going to read all of what he said here. Actually, I'm not going to read any of it. You can read that. All the way to verse 80. But he went to praising and rejoicing. And when I read this, I began to think of Psalm 127. Children are a heritage of the Lord. Uh, because Zacharias knew that. Zacharias was saying, listen. It's a privilege to raise the priest of God. Because uh, remember, they were barren. They were well stricken in age in position to be used by God. And so, now that I have a child, he's going to be used by God. See, we, it's so funny to me. We, we take the Lord's heritage, because children are the heritage of the Lord. We take the, the Lord's heritage and we, we barter them out. We pass them through the fire. Pass them through the clutches of the hands of the enemy. And hope for the best. But God has already promised. With him, nothing's impossible. But we pass him to the fire. We take what belongs to the Lord and give it to the devil. Well, the things that I have them involved with, they're not bad things, but do they interfere with their walk with God? I consider that a bad thing. Does it interfere with their growth? Because at the end, all be all of it, we want to be able to be used by God as an instrument for His use. Zacharias, now he understood that, and that's the whole point. Because this instrument, John the Baptist, was ushering the Christ, your redemption. Thank God for people being in position. Thank God for having God's purpose on their mind. For people that that are like you know, come what may, come what the job offer me come what the what they say that my child can do sport wise what they can do academic wise come what may I know what God says they can do that's who I'm validated in Elizabeth and Zacharias understood this and from this heart came the one that ushered in Jesus Christ I do have a little bit of time left, but I don't want to rush this next section. So, we're going to stop here. But again, next time we come back, we're actually going to get into the birth of Jesus Christ. Then we're going to get into his life. Because again, we're talking about the birth and the life 
of Jesus. Because you can't talk about his birth without talking about his life and his death. That's what he came to do. You can't get into his birth without talking about these things. That's your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.